Church, I stand before you today and say that Jesus is better. Amen? Amen. If you will, open up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, and we continue in our study through Hebrews, as we will this year. Last week, we had part one of Jesus is better. Today, we come to part two of Jesus is better. And if you do not have a Bible with you today, we have some Bibles right there in front of you in the pew. And you feel free to take one of those and open up uh, to the book of Hebrews in the back of your Bible. And that would be uh, page 1001. And uh, if you would like to take that Bible with you, to take it home, to use it, uh, it's our gift to you. We would love for you to take that Bible today and read God's good word, that you would draw close to him, that you would learn more of Christ. So here we are in Hebrews chapter 1. And we're going to read the whole chapter this morning. This is God's word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this message to the first century Christians. God, that would be tempted to look back to the former way of worship before Jesus came to this earth, before he gave his life on the cross, before he shed his blood, before he rose from the grave victoriously to triumph over death. And Father, today, as people who love you, who have been called by you, who have been set apart by you, God, we gather here today because Jesus is better. And Lord, we ask that you would reveal your word to us through the power of the Holy Spirit today. We understand our failures, our flaws, where we fall short before you, holy God. 
And we completely rely upon Jesus Christ, him being our mediator to call upon you in this moment. And God, we ask that you teach us this morning your word through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, as we look at angels in the Bible and how Jesus is better than the angels, may we only worship you. So Father, bless this time. I pray that our attention would be fully captivated through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, focused on your word. Draw men and women to yourself today. May there be salvation in this place today as their eyes are open to the truth, that their ears clearly hear this message today. God, bring repentance in this place. God, thank you that we come to your word now. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may have a seat. Said just a moment ago, we're here in part two. Jesus is better. And last week we observed that the book of Hebrews does not name an author. And so you can have the guessing game of who you think the author is, but we do know that it's the inspired word of God. It's God breathe. So we come to this word today to grasp all that God would have for us in his word. And so just a follow-up from last week, in the first four verses we read of Jesus being compared to the prophets of the Old Testament, and we saw that Jesus is the better prophet, he's the better priest, he is the better king. And now the comparison is between angels and Jesus. So he moves from prophets to, to angels to show his superiority. Okay, that Jesus is above the angels. He's, he's above the prophets. And so the author is taking it way back to a time even before the prophets. When the prophets came and they stood as a mediator and God would speak through them to the people, before that time even, God would send his angels and his angels would communicate his message and they continued this process. Even into the New Testament, we see this when Mary and Joseph were made aware that they would have a son, and his name would be Jesus. And so the purpose in these comparisons is not to say that prophets are insignificant. No, they, they held a major role in the Old Testament, okay? There was a purpose, but it was also a foreshadowing of the, of the better prophet to come, that being Jesus, or to say that angels no longer have a role. Though angels still have a role, and they're fulfilling that role even now as we worship as the church, but it's simply to say that Jesus is better. So right off the bat, you may hear these things and go, Brian, I don't, I don't really struggle with saying that prophets are better than Jesus. I mean, that's, it's not something I acknowledge in my life. I'm not struggling with that right now. I'm not really struggling that angels are better than Jesus. You know, this past week, I haven't prayed to Gabriel. I haven't prayed to Michael. I, you know, I haven't exalted those angels over Jesus. No, I haven't done that. That may not be your struggle. But see, there's a purpose for why the author is bringing this out. Because the angels did, um, the, the, the church viewed them in very high esteem. So you had to make some clear distinctions here, and we'll see that in just a moment. But what we can learn today, church, is, is we look at this comparison is that we struggle, and we know this, with Jesus being enough for us in our lives. Is Jesus enough? So maybe it's not angels for you, maybe it's not prophets for you, but is Jesus enough in your life? What things would you put before Jesus? 
So just for clarity, angels are created spiritual beings without physical bodies. They were created before the seventh day of creation, and most scholars would agree that angels were created on the first day of creation. And they're not omnipresent, meaning they're not like God. God can be everywhere at one time, as he is. No, angels can be at one place at at one time. Now, there are numerous angels. There's thousands upon thousands of angels, innumerable. Also, we call them myriads, that we see in Hebrews 12, 22. (coughs) And they have the ability to take on physical presence. And there are many accounts in the Bible where angels showed up on the scene and terrified their audience, that being Mary, that being Joseph, that being accounts in the Old Testament, even just their physical appearance. When they took on a physical appearance, they were terrifying. So we kind of see the difference here that angels aren't the little Angetis, okay? They're not the little chubby babies with wings, okay? Maybe that's how you like to view angels, all nice and cute. If an angel showed up in, in, in before you, you would be terrified of his presence. Some are mentioned by name. We see Michael and Gabriel. Uh, their names are mentioned in the book of Daniel. Also, Gabriel is mentioned in the book of Luke. And angels are always referred to in the masculine sense. So they're warriors. I like to teach my boys that angels are, are warriors, okay? N- nothing wrong with women, okay? Nothing wrong with children, okay? But when we see angels, these men are warriors. And so that's a picture that I want you to have in your, your mind today. Angels being warriors, what do they do? Well, here are a few things. One, they glorify God for his greatness and goodness, and they obey God's will and accomplish his work. They carry out God's plans, they serve as God's representatives and their messengers, and they will announce Christ's return. So they're waiting. There are angels that are waiting for God to say, it is now time for you to announce that my son is coming back. We're waiting for that time. So we're caught in the middle here of their great expectation, our great expectation. So let's just answer a few questions right off the bat, shall we? Okay, because you may be thinking, can I become an angel? Right? Well, it's a good question. Just going to go ahead and answer it. No, you cannot become an angel. All right? That's not why God created you. Okay, so one day when you pass from this earth, you're not going to become an angel. There are children's books that picture us as going to heaven and receiving wings and that we are then angels and that we fly around as if we're uh, in some Peter Pan Neverland, okay? That's how we see eternity. No, that, that's not how the Bible points it out. So, no, you're not going to become an angel one day. Our loved ones that have gone before us are not angels. That's not what they were created to be. No, these angels were created to be angels, all right? You were created, and you're a fallen creation. We're we're a fallen creation, and we can be recreated. We can become a new creation. That's a better word, so that we can have a relationship with God, and one day we will be better than the angels. At this point here on earth, we're below the angels. Then we will be at a point where we're above the angels, all because of Jesus, 
So then the next question we may ask, and let's just go ahead and get this one out of the way too, okay? Do I have a guardian angel? All right, you may think, hey, I have a guardian angel. I know I do. I can feel his presence. He's around me. But the thing is, Scripture does not support us having our own personal guardian angels, okay? This may have more Roman influence than it definitely has a biblical influence. And so we don't walk around possibly with guardian angels. You know, we, we could, all right, but I'm just saying Scripture doesn't support it. So I'm not going to stand firmly on having guardian angels. And the, the threat that I can see of that against God's holiness and us worshiping him is that if we had guardian angels and we refer to them often, we would rely upon them than we would Jesus Christ. That makes sense? Okay. So if you're thinking, man, I'm bummed out now that I don't have my own guardian angel, you have your own savior. Okay. It's even better. That's even better. And so why the comparison here? I mean, was it a big deal? Was the church bowing down to angels at this time? No, not that we see, but angels played an important role in the Old Testament of giving the law. So they were there when the law was presented to Israel. Angels stood as mediators between God and man. So Jews viewed angels as higher than man, okay? And and that's the proper perspective here on earth. So remember, the Christians that this letter is written to are Jewish Christians, okay? Christians are not to worship angels. It's kind of an overarching theme here underneath Jesus' better, and they're not to elevate angels over Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and we'll later get to Hebrews chapter 12, of course, says, looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. And this should be where our sight is, on Jesus. Nothing else, on Jesus. Everything should be the, through the lens of looking through Christ. That's how our lives should be lived out, through Jesus, no one else. And so with this in mind, and, and us putting this right up front, let us see a few things that the author points out in verses four through 14. Now, we're going to go through these rather quickly, so if you'd like a follow-up, you can visit this on our website. Uh, we'll also make these notes available to you. But first that we see is that Jesus is superior to angels. He is more excellent. Verse 4, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This word become is when Jesus came to earth. He was made lower than the angels. This shows his humility and his full obedience to the Father that when he came, at one time he was above the angels, when he came and took on physical form, he, like us, below the angels. And we see this supported through Scripture. We'll see this in the next chapter in Hebrews 2, verse 7. You made him a little lower while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So why did Jesus become lower than the angels? So that he might taste death for us. Believe me, you don't want to taste death. Jesus tasted it for us. And also in Philippians chapter 2, we see that he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. He put all those things aside, and then he came, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of 
men. So Jesus came to serve. And Christian, our heart should be a heart of service. Because Jesus modeled this for us when he came on this earth. Christianity is not for your own advancement. No, it's for the glory of God. That's why we become followers of Christ. The writer or preacher, some refer to the writer of Hebrews, uses seven Old Testament citations. And so you'll see it up on the screen, but as we refer to these verses highlighted as well are the Old Testament references where these are looked back to. So if some say the Old Testament is no longer needed, like we don't need to read the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, but that's, that's interesting because all of these writers in the New Testament refer back to the Old Testament often. They're connected together, okay? So do not put the Old Testament aside. Do not be intimidated by the Old Testament, but see how the Old Testament prepares the way for Jesus' coming, and much of it is unfolded and makes sense as you read the New Testament, that being Hebrews as well. So, in verse 5, we see that Jesus has a better name. A name is important to us, right? We, we, we care about our name and what people say about us, but understand that Jesus has a better name. As seen in Psalm 2-7 and 2 Samuel 7-14, these references for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So with these Old Testament references, we see the father-son relationship between God and Jesus. Okay, it's intimate. They're close. Nothing separates them. We see in the Old Testament, the word sons is applied to angels collectively, but never individually. Okay, sons of God, you'll see that. Also, we see in the New Testament, we're referred to as adopted sons, as we looked in 2 Corinthians together last year. But sons, plural, but this S-O-N, this son to God the Father, it's a part of the Trinity, closely knit. You do not tear them apart. You do not separate them out. Jesus is the greater Solomon. As we see 2 Samuel 7, 14, as God is speaking to David and about his son Solomon, but also foreshadowing of Jesus to come, we see this confirmed in Matthew chapter 12. Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So when you see this Old Testament reference, how uh, the queen was amazed by Solomon's wisdom, and then you say there is a greater Solomon that has come, that is here, and that is Jesus. And we see this word begotten. Okay, when was Jesus begotten. Was he not a son and now he is his son? This is the rising. This is the resurrection that we see in Scripture. Him rising to be with the Father. Acts chapter 13, verse 32 and 33. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, Romans 1, 4, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. 
Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Jesus is begotten by the Father. This is what Woost in his commentary says. Angels were sons of God by creation. The Messiah of the book of Hebrews is son of God by eternal generation. Son of God in his incarnation and son of God in an official relationship as Messiah consequent upon his resurrection. The son is therefore better than angels. He has inherited a better name than they because Jesus is the firstborn. You see this in verse six. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now, this firstborn doesn't mean that Jesus was born sometime in eternity. All right, you ready? Our small, finite minds are gonna have to grasp this. There wasn't a time in eternity when Jesus was born. Jesus has always been. He's always been. Can you understand that? No, we work on the 24-hour clock. So no, there's gotta be a time, there's gotta be a start somewhere, but in eternity, Jesus has always been. So this is not speaking of his birth in eternity, being the firstborn. No, he is God. Just a side note here. If you reject that Jesus is part of the Trinity, then you reject God altogether. Amen to that? Let's, Let's talk, church. I mean, you reject God altogether. So those who are Muslim who would say that Jesus is not the Christ, they reject God altogether. Those of different religions, or to say that they're of different denominations, those who grew up in in the Mormon church who reject Christ as Savior and Savior alone, the only way they ultimately reject God. And for us, if we say, you know what, I want to worship God, but I don't know about Jesus, then you too reject God. It's not about just loving God. Hey, let's just all love God. Let's love people. That sounds good. Many people would agree with you on that. They would say, okay, let's love God together, but let's not get down to specifics. But when you get down to the specifics to see that Jesus is God as well, and there was never a time when he was born in eternity, but he has always been, then there's a difference. Then there's a dividing line. Then there's hostility. Are you, church, willing to face the hostility to say that Jesus is God? Firstborn. There's not a time when Jesus was born in eternity. Clear on that? Amen? Psalm 89, 27. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. It's interesting because angels do not worship creatures. Angels do not worship you, okay? When you were born, God did not send angels to maybe South Georgia Medical Center in room 208, go there, um, Gabriel, uh, Michael, okay, you guys go, and as soon as he or she is born, worship him. That, that didn't happen. Anybody have that experience? Just to make sure nobody had that experience. Okay, no, nobody had that experience. Jesus did. Why? Why was Jesus different? Because Jesus is not just creation. He's not just some creature. He is creator. There is a difference. 
Jesus is creator. Now, the angels do worship the creator, Jesus. So once again, we see this confirmed in Scripture, that they worship the creator when he came to live among us. Jesus came in the flesh as creator to live among us. And they worshiped him. Jesus has authority over the angels. You do not have authority. I do not have authority over angels. Jesus does. So as the writer is pinning this letter to the Christians, he's saying, hey, don't go back to looking to angels as the mediator. Look to Jesus. Jesus has the ultimate authority. See, it would be like us understanding too that, hey, don't wait for signs. Maybe you're, you're waiting for an angel to come tell you something. Maybe that's been in your prayer life this week. I mean, I won't discredit that. You're saying, Lord, will you just send an angel to tell me what I need to do? Can you just make it simple here? But what we're seeing in Scripture is to rely on Jesus and his authority and the word of God. So we're not to go back. No, Jesus has prepared the way for us to have a relationship with God and his authority is over the angels. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Now, we can get into the the winds and the flame of fire and how they are sent forth. They are created spirits that can take on human form, as we've already said. But notice, it didn't say not the angels, but his angels. They are but spirits. He is God. They are his ministers. He is their head. In Colossians 2.10, he is the head and rule of all authority. So Jesus has authority over the angels, and Jesus is enthroned in glory. Where is Jesus right now? He's not in a tomb. No. You can go visit empty tombs all you want to, but Jesus is sitting on the throne. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. What do we see here? We see angels surround the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They surround the throne. Jesus is sitting on the throne. Angels surround. Jesus is seated. And he has a scepter, which is the emblem of royal power. See, Jesus came and he made himself a servant while he lived here on this earth. And people can look at Jesus and say, oh, Jesus is weak. Jesus died on a cross. I mean, is that a kind of king you want to worship? Is that a kind of savior you want to call upon? Yeah, that's just a crutch. You're, you're just relying on somebody who's not even real. No, he is real. He's sitting on a throne. He sees all things going on and he has his scepter, which shows his power. Jesus has all power and authority. It's a badge of royalty and an emblem of authority. The suffering Savior is now the supreme sovereign. The mighty angels are his servants. Let's keep that in right perspective. And Jesus, being enthroned in glory, is anointed and reigns eternal. Verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. 
So it's Jesus that is anointed. And, and get this, as we see in verse 9, he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Loved righteousness, hated wickedness. You see, many times our obedience is wrapped in a joyless and unwilling spirit. If we're honest, ah, okay, let's go to church today. Okay, I'm going to set aside and read my Bible today. Oh. All right, I'm going to work up enough courage to go share Jesus with this person. What about your thoughts? All those thoughts that go through your mind that nobody sees but you and God. You thought you were alone in that? No, God sees all your thoughts. You say, oh, let me just hold on to this thought. I know this isn't a good thought, but this is, this is fantasy. This isn't real. This is me being in control. Let's just let this ride for a little bit here. This is good. This is good. See, that's a lack of obedience because you know that what you're entertaining in your mind, what you're thinking about that person or what you would say to that person, you wouldn't ever say it out loud, right? But you'd say it in your mind. You see, that, that obedience or lack of obedience is grueling for us. We're going, ah, but it's so hard to obey. Why is it so hard for us to obey? Because that's not how we were created. We come into a line of sinners. So what do we do? We sin. We sin. I mean, why do we get awards for doing good? Because we need extra motivation, right? I mean, give me something. Give me a pencil eraser or something for doing good, right? We need that extra motivation because obedience is not something that we truly and often love. No, we, we get them reversed. See, we, we, we love wickedness, and we hate obedience many times. That's why you'd say, hey, I need church on Sundays. I need church because that's why I get filled up. That's why I get filled up, and then I go through the week, and then you're, you're empty by the end of the week because you're relying on this hour to fill you all week long. You and I are prone to love wickedness. So one hour is not going to do it, church. You have to continually rely on him, the one who does love righteousness and the one who does hate wickedness. Jesus not only performed righteousness, he loved it. Don't you want to love righteousness? I mean, don't you want to really love obeying God? I mean, you just love that. I mean, you're not doing it. So God says, good, good job. No, you say, no, God, I, I love you. Like, this is great. Why haven't I been obeying you my whole life? Oh, that's right. I was a sinner. I was, I was born in sin. I was separated from you. But Jesus, Jesus is better, and I can obey. You want that to be a joy in your life? Then rely on Jesus who loved righteousness and hated wickedness. These two things are inseparable. The one cannot exist with the other. Hey, they, can't, they can't go together. I mean, we're talking about darkness and light. We have the lights on. We, we turn the lights off, there's darkness, but light drives away the darkness. See, often we want to treat Christianity like we do our football teams. About to hit home here. You ready? All right. You drive around town and you have your front bumper tag there, and it says, a house divided. And you have the Georgia Bulldogs on this side, because the wife likes the Georgia Bulldogs, so she sits on this side of the car, and then you have 
the Florida Gators because the husband likes the Florida Gators and he hasn't become a Christian yet, okay? And so he sits on, on this side, all right? And so we, we pray for him. And, but you, you see all of this being played out and you go, oh, a house divided. Oh, so that means at the end of October or sometimes early November, man, there's, there could be some hostility there. There could be some bragging rights. I'd I, I like to just see what's going on in that vehicle around that time of the year. And, and we like to treat Christianity that way. We, we like to say, oh, this side, light. This side, darkness. Me, divided. And many, many times I like to go to the dark side. I like to hang out there because I feel like I'm hidden there and, and I can just enjoy myself. And I'm, I'm king. I'm king there. But when I come to the light, everything's exposed and Jesus is king there. You would think that this would be the way I want to live my life. But so many times I'm, I'm going back to darkness. That's not why we were set free, church. To be divided with light and darkness. A.W. Pink points out a few scripture passages that I think clearly show what Jesus came to do. He came to drive out darkness. In Matthew 4.10, after Jesus had fasted 40 days, 40 nights, and then he's tempted again because he was tempted in the wilderness. And he comes out and he, he receives more temptation from Satan. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Right? That's, that's putting darkness behind him. And we see in, in John, we see the driving out of profane traffickers there. Okay? In, in the temple, okay, and those who would like to worship on their own accord, make up their own rules for their own benefit, and there is a, a driving out. Mark eight thirty three, Jesus stands in front of Jesus, or, or Peter stands in front of Jesus and says, no, no, you will not die. No, you will not fulfill this ultimate plan that was set out before the creation of the world. No, you will not do that. And, and what did Jesus say? Peter yeah, you kidder, get behind me. No, he doesn't say that. He says, Satan, get behind me. And that whole thing where they were debating on who was going to sit on the right and the left, and Jesus calls Peter Satan. I mean, that had to really hit his ego, right? Hey, darkness, get behind me, because what you're saying right now is not of the light. I'm not divided. I am the light. I drive out darkness, this being Jesus. So we must conform to his image, meaning that we love what he loves and we hate what he hates. We say, hey, I want to be a better person. You're not going to do it without Jesus. You're not. <coughs> he is anointed, which is the this picture here of, of, of being anointed in, in all of gladness. Let me explain it this way, that when Aaron, the, the high priest in the Old Testament, when he was anointed with the oil, the, the oil would come over his head, and then it would go down all down his body and down the skirt, and so this anointing would go throughout his body. And with the oil in the New Testament, we see that that is the presence of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is anointed, and Jesus is the head of the body, the body being the church. And so as he is anointed, that oil comes over him, that anointing comes over Jesus and goes to his skirt, goes to his body so that this anointing covers the church. Not that we become Christ ourselves, but we are Christ followers. We share with Jesus. We are under 
Jesus. He is the head. We are the body. It's a concrete example of that invisible and divine oneness which exists between the head and the members of his body. And so he has received this anointing and he reigns eternal. And Jesus, as we already said, is creator. And verse 10, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. So here is what it's saying. He laid it out, he'll take it up again. And he'll lay out an eternal one, one we can't mess up, okay? So where we live right now, what's happening will not always be. Hey, we're not gonna be here forever. This is not our forever home. We, we need to be reminded of this every day. This is not our forever home. Are you living like this is your forever home? Are you so attached here? God may be calling you somewhere else to go and to do, and you're saying, but I can't, I can't leave Valdosta. It's the most wonderful place on earth, right? I, I love this place. Why, why would I ever move from here? This is my home. But when it comes to you being a follower of Jesus no longer is earth your home. No, your home is with Christ, and he is the creator. So he created all of this, and now it's been marred by sin, so he will take it back up, and he will create a new heaven and earth. That's awesome. So yeah, you're not going to live just on a white cloud playing a harp. That would be boring for eternity. No, he has much greater plans for you, much greater plans. He laid it out. He will take it up again he will lay out an eternal one, one that we cannot mess up. He is the creator, and Jesus remains, and he reigns. Verse 11, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. The created things will perish, but Jesus remains. So the things that we hold on to in creation, they're the things that are perishing. Jesus remains. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He has always been the same. He's not changing. He's not going to go, oh, that whole salvation thing? Uh, 80s word, psych, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. I take it back. I don't want to do that anymore. I've decided, I've changed my mind. God doesn't change. Jesus, he does not change. He is the same. So this earth, where we live, this creation is like a worn-out T-shirt. You have that old T-shirt you still wear, okay, from like your sophomore year of high school, right? You still have it. It's great. It doesn't fit like it used to, but you still have it, right? And it's getting worn. It has that vintage look, maybe something that you've had for a long time that you keep, you preserve, and it has that true vintage look. You didn't buy it that way. You earned it, right, through the years, okay? That nice, worn-out Look, well, what's happening with earth, what is happening? It's getting worn out. It's fading. They can call it whatever they want to. Global warming, I just say we're fading, okay? Earth's going to be destroyed. Oh, no, what are we going to do? Well, if this is your home, you're in trouble. But if your home's with Jesus, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. What do you do with those old T-shirts? You toss them out. Use them as a rag for your car, you know? It's earth. It's going to be thrown out. So is it really that precious to you? Or is Jesus more important? The world eventually fades away, but Jesus' reign never ends. 
how do you think that Jesus was never born in eternity? To think about that, but think about this. Jesus' reign never ends. We've seen mighty kings, emperors, presidents reign here on earth. And there are times when their term ends. There are times when it ends faster than it should, it extends longer than it should, whatever it may be, but it ends. Jesus' reign never ends. And like a robe, you will roll them up, verse 12. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? See, his reign never ends. And as we said earlier, Jesus is seated at, sitting at the right hand of God, and, and he's never had any of the angels come sit there. He's not going to have Jesus just, hey, Jesus, can you stand up, please? I, I want Gabriel to sit there today. But you know what, Gabriel, uh, Jesus, Brian is coming to heaven, and I want Brian to sit there at my right hand in glory. Will you just get up for a little bit? But we, we think of ourselves that way. Sometimes it's the most important thing ever, right? Here's the thing. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, which means seat's taken. You're not going to sit there. I'm not going to sit there. Jesus sits there, and he reigns forever and ever. And so the angels, they have their role. They're important. Jesus is better. So here, in verse 14, if you just want to, if you're taking notes, okay, you know right there, mission statement for angels. I just kind of see this as a mission statement for angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So they are acting ministers. They do serve. They are around us. I believe they're in this building. We don't see them. Jesus hasn't made them visible to us. We're not to worship them, but we're to trust that God is protecting us, God provides for us. But we are not to worship anyone other than Jesus. And so when the writer is mentioning of the angels, he's talking to the first century church. He's saying, yeah, you have high esteem for the angels, but they are never to be put above Jesus. Is Jesus better in your life? Or is there someone else seated above Jesus? If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, then that means that either you or something else, many things could be seated above Jesus. Today, you can die to that way of life and Jesus can reign in you eternally, forever. You can have life everlasting. You can love righteousness and hate wickedness. Look at the things in this world, how they fade, how they fall apart, and how ultimately all will be destroyed. What is your hope? What is your hope without Jesus? Today, right where you are, you can call upon the Lord and say, Jesus, I fail, I fall short, I have sinned against God. Forgive me of my sins. I trust in what you did for me on the cross. Would you call upon him today, right now, right where you are, will you call upon Jesus? Jesus, I need you. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. You reign eternal. 
be my Lord and Savior. May I love righteousness and hate wickedness. Today, if you're calling upon the Lord, you're making that confession. You're beginning to follow Jesus today. And you're realizing that Jesus is better. You didn't discover this on your own. No, God is at work in your life. We would love to talk with you. Myself and other staff members, we're going to be standing right in the back against the wall, and we invite you to come back there and meet with us and let us hear about you following Jesus now. Last week, we had someone who actually was baptized today, came back, said, today I follow Jesus. Don't leave it to yourself. Come talk to us. We, we would love to hear that you now follow Jesus Christ. If you have questions about following Jesus, you want to know more, we make ourselves available. Christian, from what you've heard today, maybe you've gotten a, a, hopefully a better glimpse of the role of angels. We would not get that out of place. And that your dependence is even more on Christ today than it was when you walked in this room. I trust that you will follow how God so leads you to worship him at this time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus reigns eternal, never ending. It means your love never fails us. Your word never fails us. We stand upon this truth. Jesus is better. In his name we pray. Amen.